It's one of these little books in the Bible near the end of the Old Testament. And so we'll be reading from Habakkuk chapter 3, but let's uh, go to God in prayer first. Heavenly Father, our hearts and our minds need to be aligned with yours. Pray this morning that you would use your word and Pastor Mike to to change to change us and to mold us more into the image of your son. We pray that you would be with Pastor Mike and give him clarity of thought and help him to preach your word in spirit and in truth. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Habakkuk chapter 3. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet according to Shigenath. O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Taman, and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand, and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence. And plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of Kushan in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers? Or your indignation against the sea? When you rode on your horses on your chariot of salvation, you stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place at the light of your arrows as they sped, at the flash of your glittering spear. You marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors, who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. I hear, and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me, yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places to the choir master with stringed instruments. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I wanted to just uh, keep holding Todd there. 
Um, don't think I could do that throughout the sermon, but oh, it's been a while since I held uh, a little one, and that is a precious, precious thing. I'm excited for you guys. Lord bless you, and, and uh, excited to have Todd as part of our church family. Well, today we come to the third and final uh, message and chapter in the book of Habakkuk. Um, Habakkuk speaks as a prophet to God about the situation on the ground. Unlike most of the prophets in the Old Testament who speak to people because God has given them a message. And that message that God usually gives to prophets in the Old Testament is the message to repent. And then usually we read about them proclaiming that message to the people of God, and they often get a lot of persecution. That's how prophets normally work. But Habakkuk, instead of of proclaiming the message to the people that God has given him, Habakkuk is crying out to God in this book. And we have, in essence, his, his own spiritual journal. And the book begins, we're going to have some review today before we get to our final chapter and and this culminating chapter. The book begins with Habakkuk in agony. He's in agony. For those of you that haven't been here the last couple weeks and even those of us who have, let's look at chapter 1 briefly and remember where he began. In verse 2, he is praying, he is crying out, he is complaining to God. How long, O Lord? Must I call for your help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you, violence, but you don't save. He's crying out to Yahweh, and he's been doing this for a long time. He's been crying out violence. The Hebrew word here, Hamas. But God seems distant. He seems far away. He's in agony. If we drop down again to verse 4, chapter 1. The law, the Torah, is paralyzed. And justice never prevails. The word of God has been abandoned by Judah at this time period, around 600 B.C. It is like some churches that just disregard the word of God and they go about doing other things. This is what Israel, this is what Judah has done. And there is violence in the land. And Habakkuk has been crying out to God for a long time and he seems to be nowhere found. His soul is in agony at the beginning of the book. And then we saw last week, uh, we saw this actually the first week, God's God's response, God's response in verse 5, his first response where he speaks in response to Habakkuk's prayer, instead of saying, yes, I'm going to come, and rescue. Just I'll be there tonight. I'll be there soon. Instead, look at verse 5. Chapter 1. He says, I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people, sweep across the whole earth to seize dwelling places not their own. So instead of hearing that God is coming and is going to rescue us, He hears that judgment is coming through this superpower, the Chaldeans or the Babylonians. And his his soul is in agony. It has gone from bad now to actually worse. They're going to come. We wanted you to come and save us, but you're going to send the Babylonians to wipe us out? 
His soul is in agony at the beginning of the book because of societal injustice. Now for us, all of us, we have experienced internal distress or or agony from from one thing or another. Uh, It might be from a broken relationship that you've had or have right now. It may be from physical pain or illness, and your soul is in agony. So let's just think for a moment about how we respond. How we respond when our souls are in turmoil, when we're in agony. Some people turn, some believers turn to drugs, to alcohol. There is so much internal pain, there is so much agony, I need, I need to move from this place to a place of joy. How do I get there? And some people choose alcohol or drugs. Now why do they do that? They do that because there is relief for a season, for a minute, for a moment. There is joy. There is a high. There is an ecstasy that comes. That's why people do it. What they don't recognize is that the enemy has put that drug or alcohol or whatever it is, some substance, on on a nasty treble hook that has all kinds of barbs. And yeah, you get temporary relief, but then follows death. Spiritual death, emotional death, and and sometimes even physical death. Where do we go when we are in agony, when our souls are, are in distress? Some, not to alcohol. Some... It's time for a road trip. It's time to get a VW bus and go to Santa Cruz or to uh, the Redwoods or to Baja, uh, to the coast, to travel, to get out. This is how I'm going to get away from the agony. It's escapism. This This is how some of us like to respond, perhaps to internal agony, to distress in the soul. But Habakkuk shows us the way to turn and where to turn. And Habakkuk turns to the Lord. His response that he gets from God is not what he is anticipating. And so we're still reviewing here. We're going to get our our way eventually to chapter 3. But in chapter 2, part of God's response is to Habakkuk as his soul is in agony and now God's response has just made it worse, part of his response is to wait on the Lord. Look at chapter 2 and verse 3. Though it linger, wait for it. Toward the end of verse 3, the NIV says, wait for it, Habakkuk. Though it linger, Habakkuk now is crying out for justice to come to the Babylonians, this wicked people. This superpower is going to come and get us, but Lord, what about them? They also need justice. And God's message to Habakkuk is to wait. To wait on the Lord. So we see Habakkuk not turning to drugs and alcohol, not looking for a VW bus and heading down the coast. He is turning to the Lord. And the Lord is not saying things that he really wants to hear. And this is what the Lord is saying to us today too. Those of you that are in turmoil right now, that are in distress, part of what the Lord is saying to us today through his word is that we need to wait on him. And we don't like this. I mean, I, I, 
I don't like to wait at Dry Creek and 49, let alone to wait on the Lord for months or for years. We moved to the foothills in 1998. My wife and I, we had no children at that time. We had been in school, one of us, since first grade. We were 29 years old. She, she, I worked and put her through. She worked and put me through. And I finally finished seminary. And we moved to the foothills, and I'm ready to serve the Lord. Wanted a little vacation first, so my wife was working more than full-time at that time. And so my, our first weeks here, I remember them. They were incredible. I, I got up in the morning, had no job, no responsibility, just finished all of this hard work. And my dog and I would get in my Jeep and we just explored the Sierra. Did that every day. Did that for weeks. Found all kinds of places, places I still continue to go to today. But after some weeks of that, the Lord convicted me and said, yeah, it's, it's time. You're designed to work. This is what I made human beings to do, not to explore the mountains. And so I'm moving around, and, and, I'm, and I'm asking God, okay, I'm ready now, I'm ready, and, and, I, and I'm ready to serve you. This is what I've been trained for. I'm ready to go to a church. I'm ready. And it was not an easy process. And the Lord was, was, was basically, I didn't hear it, but he was basically saying to me the same thing he was saying to Habakkuk, that you need to wait on me. We finally found a church. They're like, we want you to come. But churches, man, are they slow. (laughs) Pastors are slow. Elder boards are slow at doing things. And so weeks and months are going by. And I'm just waiting and waiting and waiting on the Lord. As I look back on it, and as the Lord speaks to, has spoken to me through Habakkuk in recent weeks. I, in fact, I'm, I'm nominating Habakkuk for president right now. Can I get an amen? amen? Could we use Habakkuk as president? The Lord was wanting to teach me to wait on him. And so there was a man in the church that we were going to be uh, serving uh, as, as I learned my lesson in waiting who had a tree business. And so I started to work with him. And I worked with him for weeks or for months. And the Lord was not only wanting to teach me to wait upon him, but he was also wanting to teach me the importance of incredibly hard physical work. And to watch this man, who's at least probably 10 years older than I am, working with this incredible, physically demanding, intense work every day. I'm 10 years younger than he is, and at the end of the day, my whole body is just kind of vibrating from chainsaws and chippers and moving logs. And the Lord wanted me to see that this man has been doing that for years. He's still doing it today to provide for his family. He had lessons for me to learn that were outside of the seminary classroom. 
And so part of the message of the book of Habakkuk in this spiritual journal that we're reading is that the Lord often has us to wait on Him. And then he says later in chapter 2, probably the theme, the most important part of the book, not the most enjoyable, chapter 3 is the best where we're heading in a moment, but but the the theme, the major theme in the book is in in chapter 4 and verse 2, the last part of it, where the Lord in His response to Habakkuk's prayer says, says the righteous will live by his or her faithfulness. And God is acknowledging that Habakkuk is not going to receive the wrath, not going to receive the judgment that Judah by and large is going to receive. But Habakkuk and his brothers and sisters, this remnant, most of Judah, wrath is coming to them. But to those who've remained faithful and love me, God acknowledges them at righteous, as righteous and basically sends him the message Just remain faithful. Wait on me and remain faithful. We have this interplay. And this is enough of a review. Let's let's move ahead now to where we are today. Those of you that have been here the last couple weeks. Chapter 3. And what we have in chapter 3 is a song. It's a song of praise. Look at the title or the heading. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet on Shigianoth. This is used in many of the Psalms, like in Psalm 7. And then look at the very end of the chapter. There's another heading there or a foot footer, whatever you want to call it, for the director of music on my stringed instruments. Before we even look at chapter 3, Habakkuk has, has made this transition from agony to a place of praise and confidence an exaltation of God. And chapter 3 is a song. It's his prayer, it's his song, it's his, his psalm. So let's take a look at the first couple verses. He says, Lord, Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God of Israel, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Yahweh. Renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, The wrath that is coming through the Babylonians, it's still coming. Things haven't changed on the ground. Remember mercy. Habakkuk has moved from agony and complaint and and lament to praise. He has remembered what God has done in verse 2 where it says, "I, I have heard of your fame or however your translation has it. This is this is a word used of secondhand information. He's thinking of these great works of redemption that have happened in Israel. He's thinking about the ancient past. He's not thinking about what's going on in 600 B.C. in Judah. He's thinking way back to the Exodus primarily. And he's thinking about what God has done. He has a new perspective. And we see where he's gotten this perspective from in verses 3 through 15. In 3 through 15 are basically what we have here is Habakkuk preaching to himself. And because God has commanded him to write this down and knew that it would be part of canon and scripture, we have a a template for us on what we are to do. What Habakkuk has done has taken his eyes off of the situation on the ground and put his eyes on this covenant-keeping God of Yahweh and how he has redeemed in the past. And I know that you are going to be faithful to me now. Look at verse 3. 
God came from Taman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens and His praise filled the earth. His His splendor was like the sunrise or His splendor was like the light. Rays flashed from His hand where His power was hidden. Plague went before Him. Pestilence followed His steps. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and He made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled. The age-old hills collapsed. His ways are eternal. Verse 7, I saw the tents of Kushan in distress and the dwellings of Midian in anguish. He is thinking of the exodus here. I don't know if you hear the language in verse 5. You can hear it, plague and pestilence. Habakkuk is thinking about a time when God brought justice to the people that deserved it and rescue and redemption to, to his children, to the Israelites. And he's praising God even though nothing has changed on the ground. Verse 4, the the NIV uh, 1984 version, what I'm using says, his splendor was like the sunrise. That's one way to take this, but the translations, if your translation has light, that is the better way to take uh, verse 4. On this understanding that, that this is light, the Lord is perceived as illuminating the world not with the delicate light of sunrise, that's not the imagery here, but with the awe-inspiring radiance that characterized his descent on Mount Sinai, a light as brilliant as the lightning that accompanied that event, incandescent with his glory. The exodus and the giving of the law. This, This is what he's thinking about. This is what this imagery is about. Nothing has changed on the ground, but Habakkuk's heart has been transformed and changed, and he's praising and worshiping his God. He has made the journey from agony to joy. And his circumstances have not changed. So we have these allusions to the Exodus, and then he also has allusions to the flood. Let's let's read the rest here from verse 8 through 15. Were you angry with the rivers, O Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea when you rode with your horses and your victorious chariots? These are rhetorical questions. The answer is no. He wasn't angry with the rivers. He was angry with human beings that rebelled. And so justice and judgment comes to the Egyptians. And and as we move into the flood imagery to all of the earth, except for a small remnant, Verse 9, you uncovered your bow. You called for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers and mountains. The mountains saw you and writhed. Torrents of water swept by. The deep roared and lifted its waves on high. Sun and moon stood still in the heavens. An eclipse at the glint of your flying arrows, at the lightning of your flashing spear. In wrath, you strode through the earth. And in anger, you threshed the nations. Habakkuk is preaching to himself here, church. He's telling himself, God is just and justice is going to come. He's asked me to wait. Yeah, he's asked me to be faithful. Verse 13, you came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one, your Messiah. He's primarily referring to the Davidic kings that, that would come to, to Moses and, and ultimately eventually the Messiah. 
You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot. Verse 14, with his own spear, you pierced his head. When his warriors stormed out to scatter us, gloating as though about to devour the wretched who were in hiding, you trampled the sea with your horses churning the great waves. Habakkuk is confident that justice is going to come. He's learned that God is on a different time schedule than Habakkuk is. And he's on a different time schedule usually than you or I are on. We are so self-centered and so self-focused that we would think, oh, I've finished seminary, I've finished my vacation, the church should hire me right now, immediately. Certainly that's your plan, God. No, I have other things for you to learn. And he is wanting Habakkuk to be faithful and to worship him in this setting, God is sovereignly, mysteriously working out his plan of redemption throughout all the universe, Habakkuk, not just in your life. His heart is right, and he has, he has gone through the major work of redemption, the Exodus, preached that to himself, and he's come to a new place. He's found joy. And so, for the believer, how do we apply Habakkuk 3, the major work of redemption that God has done from our perspective is Jesus' death and resurrection. And when we are in turmoil and when we are in distress, we need to preach to ourselves and remind ourselves of the greatness and love of our God and what he has done by sending his son to die on the cross in my place and your place, being raised on the third day and ascending to the right hand of the Father. If you and I were living out what Habakkuk was living out in this chapter 3, in this song, would be all kinds of gospel things. All kinds of praise for what Jesus has done. I haven't really used this expression, but another way to describe what, what Habakkuk is dealing with is, is with the problem of evil. For, for Habakkuk, it's a specifically societal injustice, but he's dealing with this, with this problem of evil. And so we see these themes in the book, to wait on the Lord, to live faithfully for the Lord, to stand in awe of his greatest work. For us, it's the gospel. It's the finished work of Jesus on the cross, crucified, resurrected, ascended. And we need to preach to ourselves about the great things he has done when we are in agony so that we can move to joy. God is the place that we turn, not to alcohol, not to drugs, not to a VW bus and a trip to Santa Cruz. Although that might be fun for a time. That's kind of why I put that up there. I kind of want a VW bus. I'm just telling you, like pastor appreciation next year, something like that. I'm not going to run away or, um, you know, anyway. Just letting you in on my, on my heart here. Where was I? Yeah, I think that was Jeffrey saying, don't leave your script. Don't do that, Mike. Um, God's calling us to preach to ourselves about these great things. In a sense, I was talking about the problem of evil. In a sense, what we have here, not the answer, the problem of evil is a mysterious thing. We don't understand why God's timing is different and why he's allowing Judah to, to, for, for this violence to go on, why he's chosen to use the superpower to come in. We, we, we don't really get those kinds of answers. These are the kind of answers we get. But part of the reason that Habakkuk is able to move from agony to joy is his own perspective has changed. He's taken a step back. And he's looked at God's greatest work of, of redemption. 
Augustine uh, speaks about this. He writes this. He says, parts of a tiny flea are marvelously framed and fitted together, while human life, meanwhile, gets spun around utterly unstable and surges up and down amid waves of innumerable troubles. I'm not sure how Augustine sees a flea as marvelously put together. I don't, did, did they, I don't think he had microscopes. I'm not sure where the flea comes from. But you get what he's saying here, right? He sees this, he's saying that there, you see God's handiwork in this flea, but in human life, it's just a mess. These waves up and down. And, and, and he's, he's connecting with, with the experience you and I have had and with, with that Habakkuk's had. What is going on this agony? So he goes on, he says this, but given this, if one had such a nearsighted view of an inlaid mosaic piece of art, that one's eye was not able to take in anything bigger than a single tessera, those little, little, what are they called? What's the word I'm looking for? Tile. That's the word I'm looking for. Those little tiles. Was not able to take in anything bigger than a single tessera. One might accuse the artisan of lacking any sense of artistic order or composition. Habakkuk is, is, is chapter one is focused in on, on one thing. It's a real thing, and, and God is okay for us to go to him and cry, but he's focused in on this one thing, this one tessera. What from very close range one presumes to be a haphazard scatter of various tiny colored stones can hinder one from discerning and contemplating in a lucid light how this mosaic emblem comes together as a single integral face of beauty. Something very similar to this is found in the case of people poorly instructed. That's me after seminary. Who are unable, because of weakness of their spirit, to grasp and to examine the universal coherence and universal harmony of things. They think that the whole universe is disarranged when something displeases them, And that one thing becomes magnified by their perception. That one thing becomes magnified by their perception. So there's there's a bunch of tessera right there. Just, Just focused in on it. This is what you and I are like sometimes. We are problem centered people. And we center in on something and we are crying out, God, this is a mess. This is nothing. What is this? And what Habakkuk has done is he has looked back at the sweep of redemption and he's looked at what God has done. And he's praising him in the midst of things that are nasty. And so we back up and we see this beautiful piece of art. This is, this is what Augustine is trying to say in his work to us. This is what Habakkuk is trying to say to us in his spiritual journal. We need to preach to ourselves about the great things he has done and we need to back up. So this is what Habakkuk has done all the way through verse verse 13. I'm sorry, I'm on the wrong page. That's why I have a problem. Um, All the way through verse 15. 
Okay, so he has been preaching to himself. He has been recollecting these theophanies or these appearances of God where he has come in and redeemed. And then, then he comes back to his own personal heart here in verse 16 and following, which is maybe not the central part of the book, but my favorite, favorite part of the book here. So here's, here's his last words. Very personal, intimate response here, 16 through 19. I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. He's trembling at God's holiness here. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us, the Chaldeans, the Babylonians. Habakkuk has learned he needs to wait. He's trembling in front of God now instead of complaining. And he goes beyond this. He's not only found contentment and joy, but look at verse 17. He envisions a potential future famine. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. This is where he turns. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. And so he's sung a song. He's worshipped here in chapter 3. He has moved. He's moved from agony to joy. And this is what the Lord wants to do in my life and in your life. And throughout our lives, he wants to do it many times. Sometimes many times in one day. Our souls are stressed out. And we turn to this or we turn to that or we turn to this and we, we, we miss turning to the Lord. But Habakkuk has turned to the Lord. And so the journey to joy is found not when troubles are eliminated. Sometimes they're eliminated, but that's not the message of Habakkuk. Things got worse on the ground. The journey to joy is found not when troubles are eliminated outright, but they are vanquished with Jesus for Habakkuk, Yahweh, as our only sovereign Lord, as our only strong tower, as our only refuge to find joy. Not drugs, not alcohol, not a VW bus, not job, not spouse, not anything else. This is what the Lord is doing and what he wants to do in your life and mine. Close today by reading from uh, a recent uh, book. Um, The book was by John Piper. It's called Lessons from a Hospital Bed. I'm going to read not from his words, but the foreword of that book was written by Johnny Erickson Tata. She describes an experience similar to what Habakkuk has gone through. Let me read this, read you what she wrote. She writes, I know hospitals. I wish I didn't, but over the years I've become all too acquainted with their stale corridors and freezing cold operating rooms. It started back in 1967 when a reckless dive into shallow water snapped my neck, leaving me a quadriplegic. 
When they rushed me to the hospital on that hot July afternoon, I had no idea I wouldn't be discharged until April 1969. One morning, I was lying on a gurney in the hallway outside the urology clinic. After two hours of waiting and counting ceiling tiles, a lab worker came through the doors to announce I would be first after lunch break. I moaned. My shoulders were already hurting from lying flat so long. As the urology staff headed to the cafeteria, my heart sank. More to the point, I nearly choked in a flood of fear and claustrophobia. Crying was out. There was no one around to wipe my tears. So I decided to comfort my soul with a hymn. In no more than a whisper, I sang a favorite from church choir. We have been given a hymn here in Habakkuk chapter 3. So she's lying there on this gurney and she recalls this hymn from choir. This is, this is the, these are the words she's recalled from this hymn. Be still, my soul. The Lord is on thy side. Bear patiently the cross of grief or pain. Leave to thy God to order and provide. In every change, he faithful will remain. Be still, my soul, thy best, thy heavenly friend, through thorny ways leads to a joyful end. This reminds me of Habakkuk. Through thorny ways leads to a joyful end. She goes on, just a little bit more of what she writes, Johnny Erickson taught her. I was only 17 years old, or maybe 18, but that moment defined how I would engage life in a hospital. My stay would not be a jail sentence. Come hell or high water, I determined that this hospital would be, well, a gymnasium for my soul, a proving ground for my faith, and a mission field for God. Sound improbable for a teenager? It is. And looking back, it was. Yet I was enough of a Christ follower to know I had to hold on to biblical hope. She had to go back to these great works of redemption and to the gospel. That's what she did lying on that gurney. I had to hold on to biblical hope or else I would go crazy. Yes, I was still wrestling against depression, still struggling with how to actually live without the use of my hands or legs even after I was released from the hospital in 1969. But I would not allow myself to sink into despair. That small, resolute act made all the difference. Not only then, but also years later when I battled stage 3 cancer and chronic pain. You and I, we are going to have differing levels and different types of agony. But the person to turn to is the Lord Jesus Christ. And He alone is sufficient to give us this perspective. Let me read it one more time and we'll close. The perspective is this. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The Sovereign Lord is my strength. 
He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're so thankful that you are with us. We are thankful for this little book, Habakkuk, for allowing us to see his personal spiritual journal and to make it part of Scripture. Lord, I want to pray especially for those who are in turmoil in their souls right now who are in agony. Lord, I pray that first and foremost and ultimately they would be running to you. Lord, if they've been doing that, I pray that they would continue to wait upon you. It's not what we want to hear, Lord, but it is what your word calls us to often. What you call us to often providentially is to wait. And so, Lord, I'm sure there are some here who need to hear from you at this very moment that they simply need to wait on the Lord. So, Lord, give them what they need. Guide them and direct them. Show them your way. And Lord, I pray that we would be a church made of people who have this perspective that even if famine comes to our land, if societal injustice were to come, that we would be confident in you and that we would have joy that is not dependent upon the circumstances around us. We pray in Jesus' name.